Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another Straight Talking English. We are powering our way through season four. I am your host, as ever, Catherine. And as most of the country is right now, uh, assuming you're listening to this live when it drops, I am staying at home because of coronavirus. People listening to this years in the future, remember that time there was coronavirus? (laughs) Well, I'm here and I am stuck at home, so be well assured that all my podcast drops will be met, oh my days. Also, I'm recording this the day after it was announced that the GCSEs 2020 have been called off. And seriously, seriously, what a bummer. Uh, My heart goes out to every single person who is teaching, who is learning, who is involved in the GCSEs. Guys, I am so sorry. My heart is breaking for everyone. And despite the fact that my series is broadly GCSE text focused, it's not gonna change when we do actually sit. So I am pressing forward and we're gonna keep on the bright side keep on the bright side guys you my next book is gonna be finished pretty dang quickly considering it's the amount of time i am at home so where can you find me str8 talk english on twitter i will be tweeting incessantly youtube straight talking english bizarrely do you remember how in the elizabeth barrett browning episode she spent her whole life inside I'm kind of feeling like Elizabeth Barrett Browning, so we might be getting a YouTube episode inside my house, getting the EBB experience. You can find my books, The Full Context series, on Amazon. Search up The Full Context, followed by the title of a book, Jekyll and Hyde, Christmas Carol of Mice and Men, and Sign of Four. Patreon slash Straight Talking English. If you would like to support the show for as little as a pound a month, it would be very, very gratefully received. I am a freelancer. I do lots and lots of different things, but my work is casual. I have taken a little bit of a hit during this corona period, not enough to put me on the streets, but enough to be really hecking annoying. So if you would like to support what I do, this is a good time here, peeps. Thank you very much in advance. And massive props, massive shout out to this week's new Patreon, Alex. Additional massive shout out. When I was working out my voice actors and negotiating with people, I completely forgot to allocate a voice actor for today's episode. And Katie, our emergency voice actor, has jumped into, once more, into the breach. Dear friends and save the day so thank you very very much katie for your time and effort today's poem slash story slash it's a really really sad story to be honest is the story of charlotte mew and farmer's bride content warning at the start as ever there will be a discussion of suicide towards the end of this episode so please be aware of that there is also going to be some homophobic language which i think is important to the story and to be honest i found it just bizarrely black humor but it is coming up just letting you know 
Right, Charlotte Mew. She was born in 1869, and by the time she died, she was called far and away the best living woman poet who will be read when others are forgotten, according to the great writer Virginia Woolf. She is growing up to be the quintessential late 19th century lady. Her dad's a jobbing architect. He works for her granddad's firm, so her dad's father-in-law. The firm are most notable for Kensal Green Cemetery in North London and Hampstead Town Hall, I believe. A lot of the old Victorian-y buildings around Hampstead kind of area. That's her dad that did them. It's nice. She was nicknamed Miss Lottie. And through today... I'm kind of going to be calling that side of her that perfect, unruffled lady, learning music, behaving just as a middle-class Victorian lady should Miss Lottie. She had quite a big family, and we're going to come on to them in a sec, and she grew up quite religious in the kind of sort of repressive non-conformist way that a lot of our poets experienced and she got this weird attitude to happiness and the best way I can describe it is a friend of mine described getting drunk as borrowing happiness from tomorrow (laughs) which I quite like and I refer when I'm having a caffeine bed caffeine binge so i don't drink but i um have a lot of problems with coffee (laughs) i refer to it as borrowing energy from later (laughs) and that was her attitude to happiness like if you're happy now it's like that price has got to be paid with misery later like happiness is a finite stock in this world and when you've used up one of your being happy tokens you've got to you've got to pay for it that's kind of an unusual attitude and she herself didn't have a happy life but also to a certain extent she didn't really look for happiness poetry though was very strictly forbidden apparently it was injurious to the brain according to her governess some of you may consider the aqa anthology poets as injurious to the brain uh, I have felt injurious to the brain halfway through writing the chapters on the romantics, honest to goodness. But that was her governess's opinion. Let's fast forward to when she's age 10. She went to this school called the Gower Street School that is apparently just up from the British Museum. Kind of where that really nice like shopping centre food court bit is if you want to visit it between uh, the British Museum and the Welcome Collection. It was led by this head teacher who was called Lucy Harrison. And apparently, if you are into great figures in Victorian education, which, not going to lie, I'm not really, she is a legend in her own right. She led this school kind of through force of personality and was allegedly beloved by everybody. Now, I would love if I could say that about my students or even my classes. So one time I did a survey um, to 
meet a target to say that I could prove I would be liked by students. And I was like, look, I'm adorable. But I did this survey on SurveyMonkey and most of my students were like, yeah, she's cool. Like the majority were like, yeah, we like her. But somebody anonymously put F that B. And I'm like, how did this Lucy Harrison chick manage to get universal love? Maybe it's because of her choice of subject matter. So she introduced Charlotte Mew to Blakey, Wordsworth and the Brownings. So maybe teaching the AQA anthology syllabus is the key to being universally loved. And her main legacy on Charlotte Mew was her dress sense. So Charlotte had this really idiomatic idiomatic idiosyncratic dress sense you can tell i've got cabin fever i've been inside for four days and i don't know my words where basically she would wear clothes that were like half masculine half feminine so she'd wear like a man's jacket over a long skirt or like a man's boots and a woman's hat and one of charlotte's big things is that she always wanted to have short hair I can get behind that because I think I look terrible with long hair. And it was kind of a battle in her house. Like, grow your hair, be perfect. And she was like, nah, don't go for it. The rest of her life, she dressed like this head teacher, Lucy Harrison. And some people think that this was a huge influence. When I say some people, I mean, because the obscurity of Charlotte Mew's life, there is, honest to gosh, not a lot out there about her i drew most of my research from penelope fitzgerald penny fitzgerald's book charlotte mew and her friends but this is the the mew scholar lie her family did not know what to do with her like she didn't seem fitted for any particular career they knew she'd grow up to be amazing but at at what (laughs) amazing at something no one quite new it was after leaving school um when lucy harrison quit that she developed this really conflicted personality like half of her was really really conformist the perfect late victorian woman miss lottie and the other half of her was really rebellious and emotional and unrepressed and kind of doing whatever she wanted she would get into these like rages and she would get really emotional and overexcited about things and the whole way through her life there is this battle between the side that wants to break free and the side that really 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 wants everyone to like her and conform i mean if we want to be armchair doctors which it's dangerous to do and i did warn about this in of mice and men we have got a lot of modern words for things so lenny's my example uh we could say maybe he has a global learning delay maybe he has a learning disability well the word steinbeck's used was mind of a child so we should use steinbeck's term because that's the only one that really makes any sense because that's the only one the writer would have known about On the other hand, Charlotte Mew has a strong family history and lived in a time that's modern enough to actually have diagnoses. So some mental conditions, some mental health issues 
do run in families. ASD is one, autistic spectrum disorders, and schizophrenia is another one. She had an older brother, Henry, who was doing fine until his early 20s. And then he had a schizophrenic breakdown. And I'm not 100% sure what that involves. But it meant he was committed to an asylum for the rest of his life and did not come out. Potentially, the same thing happened to her uncle as well, her mother's brother. Her youngest sister, called Frida, suffered a similar breakdown, though it wasn't formally diagnosed as schizophrenia, and lived in an asylum for 60 years on the Isle of Wight. And just, like... I, it took a little bit of research actually and it was Catherine Arnold's book Bedlam that clarified this for me so the image we have of a, a Victorian asylum like you know people chained up and Jane Eyre style mad woman in the attic and screaming and wailing and hideous cruelty that's mostly gone by this era I'm not saying it was nice because it was probably still pretty pretty wretched but the focus had gone from containing quote-unquote mad people and like trying to help people trying to cure people trying to give them successful lives obviously medical knowledge wasn't where it is today so some of the cures and suggestions weren't super on point but we've moved away from that terrifying horrible image that left her and her sister Anne living at home this is the era of eugenics yay everyone's favorite topic I I want to have a counter on my wall which is number of days researching without coming across something disgusting and hideous and it's just just clocked back down to zero so for those of you who are lucky enough to know or lucky enough to not know eugenics is the idea that we can breed certain desirable traits in people at its simplest form if you have a very smart mum and a very smart dad, you can encourage them to have a child who is likely to be very smart. With like recessive genes, a blue-eyed mum, blue-eyed dad, you're going to get probably a blue-eyed kid. However, we can all see the potential for this going wrong. Who decides what the desirable traits are? A lot of people involved in eugenics research think it's skin colour and it's very very much co-opted by the Nazis as an excuse for disgusting genocide. This is the era of Charlotte's life. It's called a morbid inheritance. If you have quote-unquote bad genes such as this genetic and hereditary legacy of schizophrenia that she's got it is your moral duty never ever to have children and keep this morbid inheritance keep this horrific thing she says in inverted commas to yourself because this is again late 19th century if you're not getting married well you're not having kids unless you're married 
and if you're not married, you're not leaving home. Because her and Anne agreed that's what they were going to do, it meant they couldn't leave home. They lived together for the rest of their lives and acted as carers for their mum as she grew more and more infirm and more and more disabled. So it be- there's a stigma against women working at this time. This is the era where, like, if you worked, it meant you're poor and kind of rubbish. And if you're, like, middle class and quote-unquote proper, then you don't work. Her sister had a job-ish as an artist. They had an art studio at home and she would take commissions and do commercial work. But we are absolutely stressing, it's not a job, it's not a job, it's not a job, of course not. We're not the kind of people that have jobs. And Charlotte never had any training, never had like full-time employment or anything like that. She submitted short stories to a variety of magazines and she had a little bit of a success like she got regular contributions but the most important thing that came out of this era of her life was her first crush and it's not a good choice of crush as we shall see later the thing is in my show notes i have written charlotte mew equals super lesbian and yeah a hundred percent very very like not even considering dudes relatively open about her sexuality confirmed rainbow flag carrying lesbian as i mentioned in jekyll and hyde male homosexuality is a problem according to the establishment you can be criminalized you can be punished you can be sent to prison if we look at the trial of oscar wilde talking about the love that dare not speak its name and him ending up in reading jail you can see the consequences for being open about who you are female homosexuality is just sort of ignored like most people especially in central london would be aware that there it is possible for a girl to like a girl but no one really talked about it and no one was really as bothered as you know as they were about guys falling in love it was just kind of quietly ignored i mean that's a better outcome than potentially being sent to prison but it didn't mean that charlotte would have any opportunities to meet people or date or fall in love she was incredibly self-conscious and shy about this her crush moved away to paris and charlotte decided to go to paris and visit her this is where it's a little bit of she said she said so when she got back to london charlotte was really really upset was like nope 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 never gonna fall in love again never gonna fall in love again goodbye apparently the girl she had a crush on came back to london and told everyone charlotte was a quote-unquote pervert who chased her round the bed this is the bit where i said it was black humor because apparently her crush was somewhat of a large girl and she had the single bed in a small room so logistically no one could have gone round the bed but she spread this rumor along with their mutual friends that charlotte was some kind of predator and charlotte was absolutely devastated as you'd expect no one wants to have someone they like spreading dirt about them i just feel bad for her she was absolutely 
devastated. And then everything goes a little bit quiet for a bit until one night at the poetry bookshop in Marleyburn. It's now closed, annoyingly. They had like an open mic night. Like, everyone come along, read your poems. And in comes this lady, five foot tall, size two foot, and goes, I've got a poem, can I read it? And this is what she read. Three summers since I chose a maid, too young may be, but more's to do, at harvest time than bide and woo. When us was wed, she turned afraid, of love and me and all things human, like the shut of a winter's day. Her smile went out, and twasn't a woman, more like a little frightened fay. One night in the fall she runned away. Out among the sheep, her bee, they said, should properly have been a bed. But sure enough she wasn't there, lying awake with her wide brown stare. So over seven acre field and up along across the down, we chased her flying like a hare. Before our lanterns to church town, all in a shiver and a scare. We caught her, fetched her home at last, and turned the key upon her fast. She does the work about the house, as well as most, but like the mouse. Happy enough to chat and play, with birds and rabbits as such they, so long as menfolk keep away. Not near, not near, her eyes beseech, when one of us comes within reach. The women say that beasts in stall look around like children at her call. I've hardly heard her speak at all. Shy as a leveret, swift as he, straight and slight as a young larch tree, sweet as the first wild violet she, to her wild self, but what to me? The short day shorten the oaks are brown, the blue smoke rises to the low grey sky, one leaf in the still air falls slowly down, a magpie spotted feathers lie, on the black earth spread white with rhyme, the berries redden up to Christmas time, what's Christmas time without there be? Some other in the house than we. She sleeps up in the attic there, alone, poor maid. Tis but a stare betwixt us. Oh, my God, the down. The soft young down of her, the brown. The brown of her, her eyes, her hair, her hair. Apparently, her reading of it was electrifying she did the accents like people were weeping during this the farmer is a character charlotte said that it was much easier to write in a character and she put across this idea that every poet ultimately is being a character when they write even if they're remembering something autobiographically they're still in the character of a child which again reasonable enough so at the end the farmer goes her hair her hair her hair her hair and i in some ways i thought that was always kind of cute like oh he's imagining he could stroke her hair and she doesn't love him or i thought it was quite predatory like he's standing over her and looking at her hair and it's all like in that twilight movie where he watches her sleep and it's supposed to be romantic and it's actually deeply disturbing and i could never work out which one it was and it's neither it's literally neither of them whichever one you believe it's wrong because there's this theme across all of her poems and there's one called Nunhead Cemetery which has exactly the same end and she made it clear 
he descends into madness. It's a descent into madness at the end. So such is his love and trying to control this woman that he literally goes mad. We can see a lot of herself in this. Like conformity and trying to be something you're not and the wildness trapped inside and having these two characters in conflict that never sort of quite meet and that's the two charlottes that are in there luckily both charlottes collaborated long enough to put together 15 poems including the nunhead cemetery one and farmer's bride into a little pamphlet and as keeps coming up as the same across all our poets nobody bought it she was competing against like the big names like Robert Graves because she's publishing just before the First World War and no one's really interested in poems about sad farmers unfortunately. World War One comes and goes. She helps out with the wounded that are nearby. Her mates at the poetry bookshop try and get her to republish it and it's actually a success. Second time round it, it does really well. It plops onto the desk of the curator of the Fitzwilliam Museum in Cambridge. His first name is Sydney. I cannot remember his last name, but we're going to call him Sydney. And he decides it's the greatest thing <laughs> that he has ever read, and he is going to befriend Charlotte Mew. And he does! He gets her out on trips to Cambridge, he like buys her little cakes, and you could argue that maybe he had a crush on her, but like he was married and it was kind of like an intellectual crush like he'd found something that he loved so much and it was her body of work rather than her body but now when worlds collide one of the people that he sent a copy to was thomas hardy him mr misery him of neutral tones fame she get charlotte gets invited down to have tea with them at max gate in the middle of West Country. Mrs. Hardy too, as I mentioned last week, was a little bit a little bit jealous, a little bit worried about Hardy's wandering eye, though let's face it, he just looked at women in the street and imagined he was with them and kept a creepy notebook of women he looked at. So she was a little bit worried about inviting Charlotte. But <laughs> According to Mrs. Hardy Two's diaries, when Charlotte turned up, she was really reassured that Charlotte Mew was not sexy. <laughs> well, this is great. These writers can have like a cup of tea together because she's not hot. <laughs> like as I mentioned, she's got this like really masculine style. She's got this short, wiry grey hair, and the picture that's in the anthology is of her with a. A female bow, a man's shirt, a man's jacket, and this gorgeous short grey hair. He became a massive fan of hers. They, they, it was a meeting of the minds. Her poems got published in America. And the big thing that finally brought an end to her being perpetually sad and broke was she got included on what's called the civil list which is a fund at the time for creative people in need and you get like a little pension paid out. So as an old lady, she finally ended up 
not totally broke. Like, they've been living on having lodgers and roommates in their house. And now, finally, they've got it coming together. But then, I told you a sad story. Her mother dies of old age. Her mum, I mean, Charlotte is not a young lady. Her mum is, even by our standards now, heaps old. <laughs> her mum passes away. Her friends are saying to her, like... Go on, right, now you and your sister are free. You don't have any obligations anymore. You can do whatever you want. And they can't quite do it. They're devastated. Shortly after her mum died, her sister discovers that she has terminal cancer. And then her sister dies. So Charlotte has gone from having this really, really enclosed family unit to no one in the world. Her friends try and look after her. Her mate Sydney from Cambridge takes her for little days out. It's great. But she decides about three weeks after her sister dies that she is going to check herself into a private asylum. Which I mean like it would probably be like a rehab facility today you know like a private mental health facility just off bond street and she a couple of weeks after arriving there she purchased lysol disinfectant and drank it in order to complete suicide the doctors did arrive in time but she refused all medical assistance and she was buried next to her sister in Kensal Green Cemetery. It's a very sad ending. It's, I wish more could, I wish she could have done more. Like, her and EBB's story have just kind of reached out and grabbed me and I'm like, oh ladies, I just wish, like, I just wish Charlotte was alive now, right? And I could just say, it's okay, like, put a little bit of lipstick on, I'm gonna take you out to some bars in Soho where you can talk to girls and relax a little bit i hire a carer for your mum just come outside just have some fun and she never did she never did like there's a lot there's a lot of things in my life that we can link back to farmy's bride though this conflict we've always got this conflict between someone who has this very very passionate life someone who is capable of a depth of emotion and love but never got to do it because of this idea of keeping up appearance but there's another way we can see her as well the old woman versus the new woman a new woman is a literary slash social term so a new woman has capital letters and has them inverted quote marks around it this is a term for like the very first waves of feminism like the mothers of the suffragettes or the young women who would grow up to be older suffragettes. Get this. Get this crazy. You can push back against the role society has given you. You can cut your hair short. You can smoke. And Charlotte was notorious for uh, making rollies and rolling her own cigarettes. Apparently a scandal. You could think independently. You could write and portray women as autonomous. You could choose not to marry. You could have a job and earn money. And the most controversial, you could ride a bicycle. And that is honestly one of the things that they campaigned for is a woman's right to ride a bicycle. And luckily, sitting here in 2020, if I were able to go outside, I could do on a bicycle. Thank you very much, the new woman. World War One comes in. Women are encouraged to work. Okay, it finishes and everyone's sort of alright, go back in your box now, back in the box. But Charlotte was part of this London circle of new women. 
like a lot of her friends were writing things were discussing things were meeting up and thinking about how they can change the role of women how they can fight against what society has given the victorian woman i think that if it wasn't for this specific set of women including charlotte she was on the edges we may not have the suffragette campaigns of a hundred years ago we may not have a lot of the freedoms that we take for granted as women so cheers Charlotte you did your you did your part she is trapped she has the freedom to write but she is trapped trapped by her commitments to her family trapped by her sexuality and the fact that she can't be true to who she is she can't find someone who appreciates her for who she is she's also incredibly shy I mean the guts it took to go to that open mic night and actually like stand up and do it must have been tremendous like i've done public speaking on and off for time like as i say i used to have a job where i was a performer as a professional dj and the guts it takes to stand up and do something it's relatively impersonal right but actually just stand up and read a poem that you've had stuck in your head for time man like it's actually quite nice now that her name is known she has recognition there is a series um, of collected works that includes Seamus Heaney's ones that Charlotte Mew is included in. She's included among the top ones. And when I was interviewing my poets for my anniversary special month, oh wow, the freedom I had to go out and speak to poets. Most of them had heard of Charlotte Mew. Most of them loved her. And I'm like, it's a pity it had to come after she died. And it's a pity that she made that decision that she did. But at least now, she's got a little bit of what's owed to her. So there you go, Charlotte. I do. I, I loved this story. I really, really enjoyed it. It was an emotional read. And like some of the poets, their lives are really interesting. Like as people, you could imagine them being your mates. And I would love to just give Charlotte a nice cup of tea and right, tell me what's wrong. All right, all right, we're going to go out. We're going to hit cocktail hour. You can dress like a dude if you want to. We're going to see if there's some nice ladies. And yeah, I just want to give her a cuddle. Unlike next week's, which is Tennyson. I don't like Tennyson. Like, not as a poet. It's Poets Trees Gate. But as a human being, I'm not a fan of Tennyson. And that is where I'll leave off today because I'm getting too too soppy and also because i'm working from home my partner's working from home i've just been talking to myself quite loudly into a mic for half an hour and it's probably annoying sdr8 talk english on twitter straight english.com find me on youtube search up straight talking english find me on amazon search up the full context book five is going to come out depending on when i'm allowed to come out of my quarantine patreon slash straight talking english every pound helps thank you so 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 much and i'll speak to you next time for a little bit of the charge of the light brigade